Jr., who had been President Roosevelt's Secretary of the Treasury, and his wife, Marcel, John and Anne Roosevelt, Mrs. Roosevelt's son and daughter-in-law, my husband, David and I, and several others settled down with Mrs. Roosevelt for tea. Earlier, Mr. Morgenthau had had a problem entering the library, and it was only when Mrs. Roosevelt missed him in the crowd and sent someone to find him that the young state troopers allowed him in. In the peaceful aftermath of this whirlwind visit, a rather offended Mr. Morgenthau, gripping the arms of his chair, rose and exclaimed, Eleanor, nobody there today knew who I was. Henry, sit down, Mrs. Roosevelt replied, passing the teacups. Do you think that if I stopped working for six months, anyone would remember me? Nobody would be more surprised than Eleanor Roosevelt to learn that now, four decades after her death, she and her achievements are still a fresh inspiration to new generations working for world peace, human rights, and all manner of social justice, and her reputation continues to grow. The more that is known about her, the more accurate can be the appraisal of the remarkable wife of the 32nd President of the United States. To this end, I am giving my account of Eleanor Roosevelt and her relationship with my late husband, David Gurwevich, her physician and friend, who played such an important role in the last fifteen years of her life. She had written to David in 1962, Above all others, you are the one to whom my heart is tied. Though their extraordinary friendship has been summarized and interpreted elsewhere, I feel I can offer a deeper view, based on what I have experienced and reflected upon in the years since Mrs. Roosevelt and David died. Their spirit is here, in this New York City house where I still live, which Mrs. Roosevelt, David, and I bought together and shared during her last years. I am surrounded, too, by tangible memories, by letters, books and notes, mementos, itineraries of trips taken together, hundreds of photographs, Mrs. Roosevelt's many gifts, including the blanket she knit for our newborn daughter, Maria, bedroom slippers she worked in needlepoint for David, and the seat cushion she stitched for his desk chair. I regularly use one of her kitchen forks, somehow left behind when she had something sent upstairs to taste. I treasure the jars, which once contained rhubarb cooked at Hyde Park, that were lovingly left at our door, and I regularly serve guests on incised Texas Centennial 1836-1936 glass dessert plates I strongly doubt I would otherwise have had. I have included in this book selections of Mrs. Roosevelt's and David's correspondence and some of mine. While excerpts of it have appeared in other books, here letters are presented in context. The poignant ones Mrs. Roosevelt wrote to David before he and I were married, and later her letters to both of us and to each of us individually. Many letters are missing, for David did not save all of his, and few of his to Mrs. Roosevelt exist. After she died, her daughter Anna, who stayed on for a time to sort out things in her mother's apartment, burned David's letters in the bedroom fireplace. They had been stored in Mrs. Roosevelt's desk. The relatively few that survived were found in her Hyde Park cottage bedroom and were returned to us by Franklin D. Roosevelt, Jr., while David's letters are warm and confidential, concerned with the events of the day, his problems and soul-searchings, the kind of letter one writes to an intimate friend. Mrs. Roosevelt's to him are open expressions of her deep love and need for him, 
courageous outpourings from a reserved lady so vulnerable to rejection in private life. In fact, Mrs. Roosevelt's letters to David are unique. They have little to do with her public duties. Descriptions of famous people and events are written at times almost as chatty afterthoughts. They reveal the roots of her compassion, her inner life and motivation, and without understanding this, her story is incomplete. It seems odd to me now that it was only in 1974, just after David had died, that I was drawn to read these letters from Mrs. Roosevelt's. They had always been available, and on one or two earlier occasions I had made an attempt to read them, but because life had been so fully satisfying in the present, and there was little time to decipher Mrs. Roosevelt's unusual handwriting, penned on hundreds of sheets of paper and sometimes covering both sides of a page, I simply postponed the project. When I did read them twelve years after her death, they were a revelation. I read them voraciously, moved beyond measure by the power of her emotions and the grandeur of her unselfconsciousness. My own loss of David at the time deepened my appreciation of that delicate balance that a woman keeps between her yearnings and her dignity, a consistent thread in Mrs. Roosevelt's letters to David. At one time, David had shown the letters to Mrs. Roosevelt's friend, Esther Everett Lape, for her opinion before turning them over to Joseph Lash in connection with a book he was writing. Her reply encapsulates the relationship. January 27, 1971 I knew that Eleanor loved you deeply, pervasively, continuously, but only these letters convey the depth and magnitude of that love. You were dearer to her, as she not infrequently said, than anyone else in the world. Yes, she not only loved you, she was in love with you. You loved her and were not in love with her. But this is the story of a truly great love that confers nothing but honor upon you and upon her. I am impressed by how frequently her belief in your work appears, forming a basic substructure in her love for you. The truth of this is, to me, very important. What history will know of Eleanor Roosevelt is of vast importance. I hope you will someday let this record speak for itself. It might seem curious that David had not confided to me Mrs. Roosevelt's true feelings for him. But first of all, a doctor's discretion was ingrained in him. That, and David's respect for Mrs. Roosevelt, would have deterred him from describing anything intimate about her. Knowing how she felt about him would surely have made me self-conscious in my dealings with her, certainly in the beginning. He had prepared the way sufficiently for Mrs. Roosevelt to think she could handle having me in the picture, and he decided the less I knew about the involved nature of her love for him, the more natural I could feel with her. He himself did not dwell on that aspect of their relationship, keeping his awareness of how much she loved him at arm's length, so to speak. Explaining it to me would have unnecessarily complicated matters between us. Be that as it may, the exceptional correspondence between Mrs. Roosevelt and David began when they parted company after an unduly long flight they had taken to Switzerland from New York on November 27, 1947, two years after David had become Mrs. Roosevelt's doctor, and essentially ended with her farewell letter to him, written from Hyde Park in August 1962, three months before she died. Nothing unusual had developed in their association until 1947, 
when Mrs. Roosevelt was informed that David, her physician, was ill with tuberculosis and would be leaving his medical practice for a year's cure in his native Switzerland. Overwork and worries during the war years, as well as a disintegrating marriage and the thought of leaving his young daughter, Grania, had taken their toll. He was going to a sanatorium in the mountains above Davos. David noted in one of his journals, When Mrs. Roosevelt first heard about my illness, she offered me the stone cottage next to her home in Hyde Park for the prescribed rest cure. I, however, preferred to be treated in the high altitude of the Swiss Alps, where I had been a sanatorium patient for a short time a good many years before. Since his departure coincided with the time Mrs. Roosevelt was scheduled to leave New York for United Nations meetings in Geneva, she invited him to join her on her flight to Switzerland, thinking she could make the journey easier for him. Eleanor Roosevelt and David Gerwevich had known each other as patient and physician when their plane took off that November, each of them with a different Swiss destination and purpose. By the time they landed, however, after days of engine trouble and delays in the Newfoundland and Shannon airports due to bad weather, their relationship had markedly changed. David and Mrs. Roosevelt found they needed each other. Deeply intuitive as they were, it was not long before they understood each other's hearts, yearnings, and subtle ways. As they grew closer, he helped dispel the infrequent dark moods that gripped her when she had irrational feelings of uselessness. Above all, he was the one who eased her loneliness and gave her the tenderness so much a part of his nature for which she had always longed. On her part, Mrs. Roosevelt fortified David's confidence, advised him about practical matters and impractical love affairs.